Well, thank you all so much for being here. Um, I'm really excited. You know, I heard, I heard this story a little while back of this preacher man. He has this, uh, he dr was driving down this dirt road and he saw this big acreage um, that was for sale and it was all overgrown. There's tons of weeds and bushes and all of that. My father-in-law has a huge piece of property and he has to do a lot of work on it to keep it clean, just keep it like not from overgrowing. And so he saw this big field and so the preacher man buys the field and every week he takes one day off of his preacher work and he goes and he works in this field and you know he's like cutting down trees and he's tearing out bushes and stuff like that and um, you know a year goes by, a year and a half goes by and finally he has <laughs> his field kind of, you know, finally looking good, right? And he's out there sweating. And this farmer from down the road um, drives up and sees the field and he gets out of the car and he says, well, preacher man, it looks like um, you and God have really done some, some amazing things here at this, at this piece of property. And the preacher man <laughs> kind of wipes his, wipes his forehead and says, you know, it's funny you should say that. Um, you know, we have, but man, you should have seen this field when God had it to himself. <laughs> Should have seen what God was doing with this field when he had it all by himself. And I love that story because um, sometimes in our, in our faith, it can feel that way. It can feel like, what is God doing? <laughs> like, what, what's God's plan? You know, we might see um, things in the world and, and wonder, is God around? Um, we might see things in our neighborhoods or in our families and just be like, God, what are you doing? You know, what, what's going on? What's the plan here? I know as a kid... I was probably extremely um, obnoxious, but also, um, <laughs> but also I, I hated doing things if I didn't know why. I hated, like, if someone told me, do this, it was really hard for me to do it unless I knew why. Unless I knew why are we doing it? What's, what's the goal? What's the end purpose? Um, and I, th I, think, I think we're all that way. I think we're that way. Sometimes we, we don't want to commit fully to something unless we know the end goal. Because if we're going to put our time and effort and energy into something, we want it to be worthwhile. And I think if you look at a lot of organizations and companies, a strong, compelling mission, a why, is contagious, it's compelling, and, and it makes everything worth it. It makes all the effort worth it. And so when, when President JFK said, we're going to put a man on the moon, that was a compelling mission statement, and everything else followed after it. All the organizations, all the time and energy and effort, the late nights, everyone had like a solid mission. We're going to put someone on the moon, right? And so these organizations that have a strong, compelling mission make everything worth it, and it's contagious, right? And so I think sometimes even at this parish, we could even think, like, what's God doing? You know, what, what's the plan? What's the end goal? I mean, when you, when you open up our bulletin, the bulletin's full. It seems to be expanding. We seem to be adding new pages every day, like every week, like, like of all the stuff we're doing. We're doing tons of stuff. And um, I think it's really important for us to stop, you know, at the beginning of this, this time together and just ask ourselves, what is God doing? What is the plan? What's the mission? What are we all trying to do here? And, and there's so many different um, ministries, opportunities, activities here at our parish, but what is the plan? What's the mission that we're trying to do? And if there are some things that aren't supporting that mission, or if there's some things where, you know, I'm this way in my own personal life, like, I can get so distracted by a million different projects that I could do. Like, I could try to write a book, or I could, you know, start a YouTube channel, or I could do all of these amazing things, like, all these different things. But what is the mission that we're trying to accomplish? Like, what is the one thing that we're trying to accomplish? 
And I hope that right now, um, what I want to talk about, I have I, this three goals for right now. One, I want to inspire you to know the mission of our church and the church, like God's church, God's mission, God's church, our church. What is the mission? I want you to feel like you understand that mission and you feel inspired and called to participate in that mission because all of you are. And then secondly, for any of you who are new, like new, you're not, you're not sure what um, um, ministry you want to be a part of or whether or not God's calling you to be a catechist, I, I want to just encourage you with the call to become a catechist. I want to unpack for you what God's call for a catechist is because it's an amazing call. And it's not, it's, it's not the same um, as every other ministry in our parish. In fact, I think it's one of the most important ministries is catechists, what some of you guys do. It's one of the most important ministries. So I want to inspire those of you who are discerning um, the call to catechists um, just with what that call means and what it is. And then finally, I want to challenge all of us who are current catechists um, to be inspired by this mission, but also to be inspired to devote some time to formation, to ongoing formation. Like, how are we going to understand how to better bring people um, into the family of God. Is that okay? All right, cool. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Yvonne. <laughs> Yvonne spoke on behalf of all of you, so if some of you don't think that's okay, um, Yvonne has spoken. So what is the mission? What is God's mission? You know, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, with a mission. And, um, you know, Father Flynn has a mission for this parish. And it would make sense if all of us had the same mission. And we do, actually. And um, the mission has been proclaimed in lots of different forms and lots of different ways. But I think this is the best. Um, when you open up the catechism, the very first paragraph, paragraph one, if I can find it, um, it says this, it just starts out with the mission. And by the way, if you as catechists, if you want a summary of everything, the whole mission, like I really highly encourage you to read and reflect on catechism paragraphs one through four. But in the first three paragraphs of the catechism, uh, the catechism defines the mission and it summarizes everything. Even in the first sentence, listen to this. God, infinitely perfect and blessed in himself, in a plan, there is a plan, there is a mission, in a plan of sheer good goodness, freely created man to make him share in his own blessed life. God, infinitely perfect and blessed in himself, freely creates man to share in his blessed life. That's the mission. The mission is that all of us would share in God's blessed life. There's a picture of an icon that I would like to show. This is by a man named Rublev. I think he was Russian, but I'm not sure. It's a picture of an icon, and it depicts these three angels sitting around a table. And this is from an Old Testament story where Abraham is visited by three angels. But also this icon um, is an expression of the Trinity. And so you have... Um, one of the persons representing God the Father. You have another person representing God the Son, and he's looking at God the Father. So the Son and the Father look at each other in this relationship, and the Holy Spirit watching, and there's a table prepared, and there's a cup on the table. And it's kind of hard to see with the perspective. I mean, back then when this was drawn, I think, um, well, icons are meant to not really have perspective. The reason icons are meant to not have perspective is because they're supposed to be like 2D to draw you in and then up, to point you up. Not to draw you into the perspective of the drawing, or the icon, but to draw you in and then force you to look up or spiritually look up. 
Well, the, the interesting part of this icon and the reason I love this so much and feel free to use this in catechesis is because there's an opening at the table. And I think our, our understanding of heaven sometimes is like we're just going to sit on a cloud and we're going to be an, you know, we're going to be an angel with wings and we're going to play a harp and uh, Morgan Freeman's going to float by and like say some things and like we'll just kind of be on this cloud, you know, and maybe we'll get to, I don't know, like see some dead people like like that's our that's the as far as we go with heaven. But no, like as it says in the catechism, we are called to share in the blessed life of the Trinity. That's the plan that you would sit at the table with God. Not that you would be in heaven and see God from a distance and be like, he's so awesome, look at, like, just watching him, like, slam dunk and stuff, and just like, whoa, isn't that great? No, we are called to literally sit at the table with the Trinity in heaven. To share in the life of the Trinity. Not to share in the knowledge of the Trinity only, not to share in just some ideas of the Trinity, not to share just in a view of the Trinity, but to literally sit at the table. Like imagine that, you know, like when you're a kid and you sit at a dinner table and it's full of adults and you're kind of like, oh, what do I say? You know, what do I, I just feel kind of dumb, right? Like imagine how, how crazy it's gonna feel to sit at the table with God, to have a conversation with the Trinity and to overhear the conversation of the Father, with the Son in the Holy Spirit. This is the mission. The mission is that all of us, not just in heaven, but now would begin to experience the blessed life of the Trinity. That's the goal. That's the goal. There are people out in Grapevine, there, there are kids that are coming to our classes who haven't experienced the life of the Trinity. They haven't experienced the love of God. They're suffering with sin. Like, if you go on to the rest of the catechism verse, it says, uh, here, I'll just pull it up. Because if I do it from memory, I'm going to get something wrong. And one of you is going to walk up to me and be like, that was wrong. Um, God, infinitely perfect, he creates us to share in his blessed life. And then he says this, for this reason, at every time and in every place, God draws close to man. He calls man to seek him, to know him, and to love him. But here's the thing. He calls together all men scattered by sin. We are scattered by sin. There are people that, that are at our church even who are, who are scattered by sin. They're, not, they're in the church, but they're not of the church. There are people that show up in our pews that are in the church, but they're not of the church. They're not sitting at the table yet. They're in the church, but they're not of the life of God, the love of God. They haven't experienced the peace of God, the saving act of God. They're in the church, but not of the church. And so the plan is for us to help people experience the blessed life of God now. Amen? That's your job as catechists. He calls together all men scattered and divided by sin into the unity of his family, the church. So our mission is to share in the mission of God and bring people into the blessed life of the family of God, to bring people into that. Um, at the end of Matthew, Jesus dies, he rises from the dead, conquering death. Well, I'll say this, God the Father has this mission. He creates us to share in his blessed life. Well, then sin happens, we're scattered by sin. So God, the Father of the mission, sends the Son of the mission to accomplish the mission. The Son, Jesus Christ, comes and he accomplishes the mission. He's in perfect obedience with the Father's mission and he accomplishes that mission on earth through his death and resurrection. And then at the end of his resurrection, what does he do? He calls together the men, the men and women that he had gathered 
to share in his mission, and he sends them on mission. He says in Matthew 28, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And I'm with you always until the end of age. So he gives us the mission. So the Father has the mission. The Son affects the mission, puts the mission into effect. And then finally, Jesus says, it's better that I go so that I could send the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit is the mission of God stirred up in the people of God, in you. So at Pentecost, all the, the apostles gather together. They're like, we have this mission. What do we do? <laughs> and then finally, the Holy Spirit comes down. There's this crazy like Pentecost moment that happens, and they're sent out on mission in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the mission of God, that we would make disciples. The Catechism, paragraph four, so it goes on, it talks about, in the first paragraph, it talks about God's mission, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. In the second paragraph, it talks about the apostles take up the mission, and they go out, and they do it, and they go to the ends of the earth, right? Later in paragraph four, it says, from the early ages, catechesis was the term given to the effort of all of the church, all the church efforts to make disciples. A disciple is a follower of Jesus who is starting to experience that blessed life of God. So it says catechesis, which means to echo on the faith, to, to pass down the faith. God has revealed himself in scripture and tradition. He's given us, us a message. And now through catechesis, we, we echo down the faith. We pass down the faith. And so catechesis is the church's efforts to make disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Go do catechesis, right? This is where it gets interesting. Oh, and I'll just say this. Um, the, par the document on catechesis written by Pope Paul VI, it says the primary aim of catechesis is not information, right? Is not that they would have a strong argument um, against atheism, as good as that is and as necessary as that is. But the primary aim of catechesis is what? It says the mission of God. It, it echoes this mission of God. It says this, the definitive aim of catechesis is to put people not only in touch, but in communion, in intimacy with Jesus Christ. Only he can lead us to the love of the Father and make us share in the life of the Trinity. To share in the life of the Trinity. That's our goal as catechists, is to help people share in the life of the Trinity. So catechesis is a moment in the process of evangelization. So evangelization, we have um, these two paintings on both sides um, of the stage here. Over here we have the calling of Matthew. And um, I, I purchased this painting in particular um, because our department is called the Department of Evangelization and Catechesis. And so this calling of Matthew is a wonderful um, image that you could use in catechesis to explain evangelization, right? Jesus calls, points to Levi, calling him out of his life as a tax collector and into the blessed life of the Holy Trinity. He calls him to be a disciple. And you see Peter there, and feel free to look at these these paintings um, during the break, but you see Peter is staring at Jesus's hand, right? Um, I think sometimes as, as we're discerning whether or not to be a catechist, we're a little nervous because we're like, well, I don't know the faith, or I don't know the faith super well, or um, I don't know what I'll say, or I don't know, like if I have to come up with some super creative lesson plan or something. Well, Peter doesn't have his own message. He only has the message of Jesus. 
We don't have a message that we give of our own accord. We just have a message we've been given, and we pass it on. So in this painting, Evangelization, Jesus calls out to Levi. Over here we have the painting of the Annunciation by Fra Angelico. The Annunciation, if you ever read in Luke, um, the Annunciation is a perfect model of catechesis. The angel comes to Mary and proclaims a word, not his own word, but God's word. The angel is the catechist to Mary. The angel comes bearing this, the angel echoes literally the words of God. And I love this version of the painting because you can see the, the letters written out as the angel's proclaiming that Mary is going to conceive a son. And you see Mary receiving that, but then also responding to it. She responds to it in obedience. And, she, and because of that, she enters more fully into the life of the Trinity. She participates in it. So evangelization is the church's efforts to preach the gospel and spread the message of Jesus Christ, but more importantly, to bring people into the family of God. Catechesis is a moment in this process of evangelization. There are many moments in evangelization. All of us are called to be evangelized. We never stop being evangelized. We can never be so united to Jesus that we don't need evangelization anymore. But catechesis is a specific moment where the word of God is unpacked and applied to the person, right? So the faith that we have, that we echo in confirmation programs or in K through six or in CGS or any of that, someone who's been evangelized, who's been called into the life of the Trinity, then needs to unpack what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Um, I remember hearing uh, Bob Rice tell a story that um, he asked a teen after a talk what they thought of the talk, and the teen said, I don't know, it's too catechetical. And Bob Rice said, it was too catechetical. He's like, yeah, it was just like, it, was, it felt like too much catechesis. And he said, well, the primary aim of catechesis is intimacy with Jesus. So do you mean you felt too intimate with Jesus during the talk? And he was like, no, that's not it. It was boring. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so the, the task is to be part of the mission. And here's where it gets really exciting because the mission territory, sometimes we think of mission and we think of like, we gotta go to Haiti, we gotta go to other countries and that's where the mission territory is, isn't it? Mother Teresa said, the worst poverty in the world, the worst poverty in the world is not material poverty, but spiritual poverty. And we have great spiritual poverty here in America. And um, there's a book called Forming Intentional Disciples, which we have in the back, and Sherry Waddell, um, who wrote the book, she unpacks this study, and the statistics are pretty, pretty bleak. I mean, it says that 30% of Americans who were raised Catholic are still practicing. 30% of people who were raised Catholic still practice. And by practice, we mean they go to Mass once a month at least. I don't know about you, but I get, I'm like, what's, what's the problem? What's happening? And I mean, man, there, there are plenty of theories out there on, on why people are leaving the church. Um, there's another statistic that said that 79% um, of those who drop the name Catholic do so before they turn 23. They, they drop their Catholic faith before they turn 23. And for a long time, we thought, well, they'll come back for the sacraments, right? They'll come back when they need to get married or they'll come back at baptism. And we've seen that that's not the case. That's not the case. People are leaving the faith in droves. But more so, more importantly, the biggest religious affiliation, the, the religious affiliation that's growing the most in America, the quickest, exponential growth, is this religious affiliation called nuns, N-O-N-E-S. And this is people who say, 
I just, they just have no, no religion. They're like, I'm just, I have nothing, I'm just nothing. And that should be alarming. Like the mission territory is here. And it's not just a statistic that's like, well, that's in Las Vegas and we're pretty good here, right? And like, no, like this is across America. And I've, I've seen this in high school ministry that people, people are hurting and, and people are leaving the faith. People are leaving the faith younger and younger. And so especially catechists here who are dealing with children, man, like it is so important that we catechize. It's so important that we do something different. So what are we going to do that's different? There was another study that said um, the majority of Catholics are not even certain that a personal relationship with God is possible. A lot of people think the faith is just a book filled with things that I have to, I have to believe. But that would seem so contrary to this image of the blessed life of the Trinity that we're called to. To have a personal, like to have friendship with Jesus Christ here on earth is possible and it's what we're all called to. But for some reason, most people don't think that that's possible. There's another study that, that found that mass attendance is always lower than and goes up and down in relation to belief in a personal relationship with God. That the more people that believe that it's possible to have a personal relationship with God, the more those people go to Mass. And the less that people believe that a personal relationship with God is possible, the less they go to Mass. It makes perfect sense. If you go to Mass and you think, nothing is going to happen to me at Mass, this is just something I do, it's just another part of my life, it makes sense that eventually, by the time you turn 23 and other things are happening in your life, you're just like, oh, it's just not that important, Right? And I think we're tempted to think they just need to know. If only they were educated. If only, they were edu- if only we could sit them down and give them the talk. If only we could teach them what the Mass is. If only we could tell them it's Jesus, right? Like if only we could just tell them. But that's not, that's not the case, right? In catechesis, catechesis is not about information. Catechesis is about transformation, intimacy with Jesus. And that might scare some of you because some of you might be like, how do I make people intimate with Jesus? Like, what do I do, right? Like, like, what's the icebreaker I do? Like, what's the thing I do? Well, that's why, that's why it's so important that we have days like this. We have formation to talk about that. Because there, are, there is a method that God uses to bring people closer to him. And it's not just standing up like I'm doing and, and, and teaching. It's not just intellectual, like, here's the talk, Right? And there's a, I'm not going to go into it, but there's, there's plenty of things that we can talk about and we will talk about in the formation about how you insert someone into the mystery of the Trinity. And that's so important and it changes lives. We've seen it in youth ministry. We've seen it in so many different places that when you use the method of God to bring people into the blessed life, like their lives change. So the mission territory is here. This is the mission territory. And here's where it gets really interesting. So the mission God, the Father, has the mission. He sends the Son. The Son and the Father send the Holy Spirit into the apostles. The apostles go out and they have the mission. The mission is to bring people into the family of God, to experience right now the blessed life. Here's where this gets exciting. Bishops are sent out into the whole world, right? The bishops are successors to the apostles. An apostle means one who is sent. So every bishop around the world is, is participating in this mission. And so the bishop, our bishop, Bishop Olson, has the mission to bring God's mission to this territory, the diocese, Fort Worth. And he is to pastor and shepherd and care for the souls of people, not even just Catholics, but 
everyone in this territory, in this diocese, every square inch of the world is accounted for in a diocese. Some of them are really big. Some of them are really small and have lots of people in them. Some of them are in Africa. Some of them are in the Caribbean, right? Every square inch of the, of the world has a diocese where a bishop participates in the mission. And the mission is get everyone the bishop is not in a diocese just to care for Catholics. The bishop is in the diocese because he has the mission, and this is his mission territory. But Bishop Olson is just one man, and he has a hard enough time making it around to everyone's confirmations, right? Let alone preaching the gospel. So what do bishops do? Well, bishops start appointing priests to carry and shepherd the mission in specific parishes. Now, the word parish, um, here, I'll just look at it, because if I do it from memory, I'll get it wrong. Um, in the ancient Greek form of parish, it means sojourning in a foreign land or dwelling beside, to dwell beside. So the diocese is split up into parish boundaries, little parishes. So Father Flynn, the bishop has given Father Flynn the same mission that the bishop has, which is bring people into the family of God. So our parish boundary which I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to say grapevine, even though we go out into some other cities, but just it's just it's more finite if, if every time I just say grapevine and a little bit of this place and a little bit, just when I say grapevine, you know that I also mean our parish boundary. But what's exciting is that our job, what we're called to do is bring God's mission to our parish boundary, that all of grapevine would be welcomed into the family of God, that no person would go without being welcomed in the family of God. And so, Father Flynn has the mission to do that in Grapevine. Well, Father Flynn can't make it to every single, I mean, how many thousands of, I mean, there's thousands of people in Grapevine. Father Flynn can't make it to everyone. So here's where it becomes important for us. Father Flynn, on behalf of the bishop, on behalf of the pope, on behalf of Jesus Christ and the mission, Father Flynn calls into the mission catechists. And the church, in the same way Jesus Christ commissioned, meaning sending forth, commission, co-mission, being with the mission, the church, our church is commissioning catechists out into the world. It says in the catechism, periods of renewal in the church are intense moments of catechesis. And so I believe and I'm committed to, and man, my whole life is committed to, catechists bringing the mission to Grapevine. Like, that's it. That's the plan. That we would get as many catechists as possible and bring renewal to our church. Not that our church is, like, necessarily bad, but just, like, I mean, is everyone a saint yet? No. But also, these statistics are bleak, right? There are people that are signing up their kids for faith formation every single year and don't believe it's possible to have a personal relationship with God. They're not teaching their kids that it's possible to have a personal relationship with God. And a lot of these kids, before they turn 23, are just going to say, it wasn't that important to me. So you guys, like, if, you, if, if you're a catechist, you are on the front lines. Ushers are great. Lectors are great. Like, we need, we need that. But I mean, maybe I'm just extremely biased, but I'm just going to say, I think this is one of the most important ministries at our parish. And I'm not just saying that for, like, job security, right? Like, it is literally renewal in our church will come through you. Renewal in our church, like mass attendance, people's lives being changed, whole neighborhoods being given over to the mission of God that the blessed life of the Trinity would, would, would live in people's neighborhoods is going to come through you, not through me. I mean, I'm, I'm going to help, 
but I can't be everywhere either, right? Like, we need catechists. We need catechists to share in the mission of bringing people into the blessed life of the Trinity. And that's a huge call. It's a huge call, but it is so important. It is so important. And that's why we do days like this. That's why we spend time and energy. That's why we, we, we spend money to try to make you feel how important this is and how special this is to support you. And this is one of the most important ministries in this church. The ministry of a catechist. It's not so much that God's mission has a church. I completely ruined that. <laughs> it's not so much God's church has a mission. <laughs> it's not so much that like, God's church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has a church. So just reflect on that, because I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> so listen to this. Pope Francis wrote a document called Evangelii Gaudium. It means joy of the gospel. We have it in the back there. And most of what he talks about in this gospel is this mission. We are called to be missionary disciples. The, the mission statement of our church is building a church of missionary disciples. We are called to build a church here of missionary disciples. Not just disciples that know Jesus, but people that know Jesus and then are sent out on mission, are co-missioned. And Pope Francis says this, I dream of a missionary option that is a missionary impulse capable of transforming everything so that the church's customs, ways of doing things, times, schedules, language, and structures can be suitably channeled for the evangelization of today's world rather than self-preservation. I don't know about you, but that feels a little, that like hurts a little. Because there are so many times that I'm more concerned with self-preservation. Let's just make sure like, that our time of our ministry that we have, let's just make sure that you know, the people that are coming keep coming. Let's just make sure like, that we preserve what we have. But Pope Francis is calling us to this missionary option, that the mission would become central, that even the times of th things that we do, that the structures, that the way we do RCIA, the way we do Young Church, the way we do everything would be changed because of the mission. And what is the mission? That everyone in Grapevine would be welcomed into the family of God. And so that, 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 that requires a lot. That takes a lot of us. But that's what we're trying to do. So our mission here at St. Francis, that Father Flynn is like championing and, and, and wants so badly for all of us to take up, the mission of our entire parish is to build a church of missionary disciples. So last thing on the call of a catechist. Um, catechist, so in the Old Testament, we had prophets, Right? Isaiah, Ezekiel, these prophets. Um, I just want to say that the call to be a catechist is both apostolic and prophetic. And what that means is um, the call of this vocation to be a, a catechist is apostolic, which means you are representing the apostles and the message that has been handed down. So it means that everything that's contained here, you're representing. You're representing the bishop. You're representing the pope to the people that you're catechizing. So that's what we mean by the call to be a catechist is apostolic. And that should make you feel good because you don't have to come up with some great teaching, right? Like Jesus said, like, my teaching is not mine, but from the one who sent me. So like, you don't have to worry about like, having some great, awesome, unique teaching. You just share the teaching that, that you've been sent with, right? And that's the teaching that God the Father has given us. So the call to be a, a catechist is an apostolic vocation. It's different than lecturing or ushering, right? Which are great ministries, but... It is an apostolic ministry at our parish. 
And I think, I think you know, we shouldn't just gloss over that. It is, it is an important ministry. This is part of the reason why um, one of the things we're doing this year that's a little different is we're having all of our catechists sign um, a statement of fidelity to the church's teachings. Um, and it's not to, like, push something on you, but just to try to engender this, this responsibility of, man, I'm responsible for this and this alone not for some unique teaching that I can come up with, but for this and this alone, and I'm participating in the apostolic um, office of the church in some ways. Second thing is that the call to be a catechist is prophetic. So in the Old Testament, prophets were given a word from God, and then they went out and gave that word to God's people. So the call to be a catechist, you're called to be a prophet, right? And I know some of you are probably like, so I'm going to predict the future. It's not, that's, not the, that's not what we mean by prophet. A prophet is someone who brings God's word to God's people. And so I'll, I'll leave you with this. What are the qualities of a catechist? So um, he, I just want to say three things that are the qualities of a catechist, and hopefully th these will be good, <laughs> you know, as you meditate on these three things. Um, maybe ask yourself if you are already a catechist, like, should I be a catechist, right? But also, um, you know, if you feel called to be a catechist, right? Like, what does it take to be a catechist? It says in um, Matthew 22, verse 36, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Uh, which is an important question back then because there were almost hundreds and hundreds of rules, commands, um, regulations in the Old Testament. Jesus is asked, what's the unifying principle? Like, what's the one thing? What's the one thing we got to do? What unites all of it? And he was asked that question and very quickly responded, the greatest commandment is that you would love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And so if you want to be a catechist, don't worry about, like, I don't know how to teach. I don't know how to work with kids or adults or whatever. Like, we can help you with that. What we need are people that love God with all their heart, soul, and mind. And um, this is what I mean by that. Catechists who love God with all, all their heart, they have a friendship with God, and they seek friendship with God. Um, we don't want people catechizing who don't know Jesus. Um, it's hard to talk about Jesus if you, just, if you just don't know him, right? So a catechist is someone who loves God, and that love of God compels you to love other people. Um, because Jesus, very quickly, right after the first commandment, he's like, this is the greatest, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Well, then he said, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So if you're called to be a catechist, a catechist is someone who has a great love for God, and it, it compels that person to have a great love for people. So just having a deep, deep love of God, um, going to God in daily prayer, having a relationship with Jesus, a daily relationship with him, loving God with all your soul, so worshiping God. Um, as a catechist, you're called to participate in this apostolic vocation, which means you have to be soaked in the liturgy, the life of the church, liturgy, the sacraments, the celebrations, the feast days, all of those things, like striving to be part of the liturgy so that we could better represent the church. And then finally, loving God with all your mind means striving to grow as a catechist. It means having the mind of God or striving to have the mind of God and learning what God's pedagogy is, the way God teaches people, the way God brings people into his life. There is, a, there is, if you look throughout all of scripture, you can see the way that God works with people. And so loving God with all your mind is just, as a catechist, means never stop learning. It also means like how, like committing your mind to being the best catechist you can be. 
And so notice I didn't say, like, you have to have a theology degree. I didn't say you have to, like, be the smartest person. Um, you just have to love God with all your heart, love God with all your soul and the church as well, and then love God with all your mind by, by trying to grow. Um, it's interesting that St. Therese of Lisieux, um, and Nick, maybe could you come up here? Well, in a second. <laughs> that was me snorting. That was not something, I don't know. Anyways, uh, it's interesting that St. Therese of Lisieux is the patron saint of missionaries. St. Therese of Lisieux uh, died at 24 in a cloistered monastery. She never went anywhere other than the convent that she lived at. Um, but the reason she's the patron saint of missionaries is because she had a burning desire. She wanted to be everything. She wanted to be a soldier. She wanted to be for God. She wanted to be a martyr for God. She wanted to be a teacher. She, I think even in, the, in her story of soul, she said she even had a desire, not, well, you'll freak out, but a desire to be a priest, but not in the sense, not in a weird sense, but just like she saw how good being a priest, like how holy and awesome that she, like, she was drawn to everything. She wanted to be everything. And so in that frustration of being locked, well, not locked up in the cloister, but in this frustration of not being um, healthy enough to go do all of these things, she got really frustrated and she would talk with God and be like, I have this strong urge to go out, to have the mission and go to the world. And um, she learned and God taught her to just do small things with great love. That was the mission, to do small things with great love. And she learned that just by doing the little things that were asked of her, day-to-day, -day, with great, great love, brought much renewal to the people around her. Um, so we asked St. Therese of Lisieux to pray for us. But finally, I want to tell you a story that is kind of familiar, um, but I think kind of summarizes all of these things. So in 1519, uh, Cortez and his ships came and landed in what we now know as Mexico, right? And the Spaniards that came to conquer Mexico, um, the Aztecs who lived there, the Indians that lived there, um, they had a, a really dark religion. Some would say it's almost satanic, the religion that they had. Um, when when the, this, these Indians there um, saw Cortez come, they you know, honored him in the way that they knew, and they brought a bunch of men up to Cortez, and then they, they um, executed them as a way of like sacrificing these men um, to Cortez. So the Spanish were very um, appalled at the, the superstition and the, the kind of darkness of this religion. Um, so they came for, you know, God, glory, and gold, right? In some ways, um, some have said. So they came excited to find gold, um, excited for glory, and in some ways, you know, wanting to bring God to this country the way that they knew how. And the way that the Spaniards knew how to bring God to the country was to force people um, to become Catholic. So they start doing that. It's causing a lot of problems, a lot of um, battles and wars, and lots of people, um, lots of the Indians being killed. And um, a Franciscan um, group, a group of Franciscans, also come to what we now know as Mexico. And these Franciscans come and try in that cult climate to not preach this Catholicism of, I want to force you to be Catholic, but they tried to preach the love of God. And one of the families that they converted, one of the first Indians to convert kind of on their own accord to Catholicism was the family of Juan Diego. So Juan Diego um, grows up in the Catholic faith. I mean, he, he grows up committing his life to this Catholic faith. And one day, Juan Diego is walking. He's um, much older. At this point, he was widowed, too. So he's by himself. Um, he's a little bit older, and he would walk, I think, like four miles or a great distance to Mass, but he's walking to Mass, and suddenly Mary appears to Juan Diego. 
And Mary appears to Juan Diego, and I always, I always kind of forget this part, that Mary appear, appears to Juan Diego with, with a message, and she says, go to the bishop, who was also Franciscan at the time. She says, go to the bishop and ask the bishop um, to build a church here on this spot. Build a church. Go to the bishop and ask him to build a church. And so Juan Diego, you know, goes to the bishop, and the bishop, who is very sensitive to this superstition of, of the Indians, and Juan Diego was from that heritage, the bishop doesn't believe him. Um, which makes sense. I mean, if someone just comes to you and says, Mary appeared to me and says, you need to build a church over there, we'd be a little hesitant, right? So Juan Diego goes back to Mary, and Juan Diego, um, I love this, this quote here. Juan Diego goes back to Mary, and Juan Diego's like, you've chosen the wrong person. Like, I'm not the one to bring this message to the bishop. He didn't believe me. He says this, because I'm really just a man from the country, I'm a porter's rope, I'm a back frame. I'm just a tail, a wing. I myself need to be led, carried on someone's back. My little girl, he's talking to Mary, please excuse me. I will afflict your face and your heart. I will fall into your anger, into your displeasure. And so he's telling Mary, like, look, I'm not smart. I don't know a whole lot. Like, I, like, I need to be led. I am older. I don't, I don't understand. Like, I'm not going to do a good job with this. You need to find someone else to bring your message to your people. And Mary instead looks at him, and, and Mary understood, and Mary showed Juan Diego that God does not call those who are qualified. God qualifies those who are called. And God calls us into ministry and calls us to be catechists, and then he qualifies us. You see this with Moses, with Abraham. You see Moses who's like, I have a stutter. I can't do this. And God qualifies the person he's called. So Juan Diego goes back um, to the bishop and says, again, um, you know, I need or we need to build a church. The bishop says, okay, go back to Mary and ask um, Mary for a sign. And we know the story. Mary goes and asks for a sign, or, or uh, Juan Diego goes and asks for a sign. He comes back and opens his tilma that he has all these flowers in that were out of season. And when he opens the tilma to show the bishop the flowers, um, this, this image of Our Lady is there on the tilma. And so the bishop builds the church. And I think what a lot of us sometimes forget in this story is that um, the bishop builds the church. He puts this image in there. And Juan Diego commits the rest of his life to catechesis. He commits the rest of his life to just explaining this image. And Mary catechized Juan Diego. Juan Diego then catechizes everyone. And over the course of Juan Diego's life, almost 9,000 people came into the Catholic faith. And so whereas before, coming to people and saying, you need to be Catholic and forcing them was not working, a simple man from a simple background who was not smart um, who was not educated, who didn't, wasn't an eloquent speaker, he just gave the, the message that he was given. Um, this is Mary. This is what she's about. This is the story that she's about. This is the life of the Trinity that you're called to. And so, you know, they'd have this church, and, you know, a group of people kind of maybe this size would come in, and Juan Diego would explain it, and then they would go out the other side of the room and go where they could be baptized. And then another group would just come in, and Juan Diego would just stand there and just keep evangelizing and catechizing, telling this story. And what's interesting is during that time, around the 1500s, at the same time that 9,000, it's estimated, Catholics leave the faith in Europe because of the Protestant Reformation, right? 9,000 Catholics in Europe leave the faith, and it's estimated that at the same time, 9,000 Catholics enter the church 
in what is now Mexico. All through the faithfulness and obedience of a simple man who committed his life to catechesis. And God's calling all of you to this ministry um, to just commit your life. I mean, you don't have to commit your whole life here and now, but, like, but just to commit um, to this effort of catechesis. I mean, you can do, you can do if, you do, if you don't decide to do catechesis here at the church, you're still called to catechize your children and catechize other people in your family. But like this ministry of catechesis, um, we're called to. Our, our parish is called St. Francis of Assisi. St. Francis was told, um, build my church. And at first, St. Francis thought it was a physical church, so he, he starts building, but then God shows him, no, 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 build the church. Build up the church. Our mission here is to build a church of missionary disciples. Juan Diego, who was sent to a Franciscan and asked to build a church, and he builds the church through catechesis. And so today, um, if you've been a catechist for a long time, or maybe um, you're interested in being a catechist, Let's right now, let's just renew or open ourselves up to that call. Like, let's just have, we're going to pray just for a few seconds or for a few minutes. Um, just asking God to speak to us. Um, is he calling us to that? I mean, he is. I mean, I'll just say that. He is calling all of us to catechize, to pass on the faith. Whether or not he's calling you to do it, you know, in this explicit way at our church it doesn't matter. God's calling you to be a catechist in the same way Juan Diego was a catechist. Mary asks, build a church. And now I think Jesus is asking you, uh, will you build my church? Will you bring renewal to Grapevine? Will you bring the blessed life of the Trinity to everyone, to every family, to every child in this parish? So let's just begin praying. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus.